all have a plan for how things will go for us. Even when we do something we know we aren't supposed to do, we have a plan. Now, when I was uh, a lot younger, I was just a toddler, I got into the crayons while my mother wasn't looking one day, and as most young children will do, I found something to draw on. That something was the wall. And I sat and I drew what I thought was a very beautiful picture. But as I finished it, I realized that this was going to get me in trouble if I wasn't careful and if I didn't have a plan for how to cover it up. So as quick as I could think, I signed my brother's name at the bottom of it. (laughs) We all have a plan. Even when we're not when we're doing something we know we're not supposed to. We all have a plan. Now, there are a lot of stories in the news, and all you have to do is is turn it on sometime during the week or the month. There are stories in the news of celebrities that have these meteoric rises to fame, and when they get there, something comes out, and they have this great fall. Some trouble, some problem, some difficulty will arise. There are some really famous falls from grace And I wanted to ask you guys this morning, who can you think of in recent history that has had a fall from grace? Go ahead and shout it out. Lance Armstrong was certainly one of them. Joe Paterno. Tiger Woods. Once more. Hmm? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sterling. Bill Clinton, if we could sit here for the next 20 minutes, I wouldn't have to preach and just list off names of celebrities that have had a fall from grace. Lance Armstrong was certainly one of them, the uh, seven-time Tour de France winner and uh, founder of the Live Strong Foundation. It came out later that he was taking performance-enhancing drugs. If you're a football fan, as football's coming up, uh, the season's about to start. Brett Favre was another one who had a wonderful career with the Green Bay Packers, but had some trouble with a cell phone, taking some inappropriate pictures. And then there's an older one, Richard Nixon, was another. And I am not going to fathom or attempt a Nixon impression, but all of these have had these magnificent meteoric rises to fame and almost as magnificent a fall from glory. Many of them try to cover it. In fact, almost all of them try to cover it. When was the last time you heard a celebrity go out in front and say, before everybody caught him, I did it. You're going to hear about this. I did this thing. It just doesn't happen. They try and cover it. They try and hide it. They have these brilliant plans that will keep them from getting caught. But they weren't the only ones who try to hide their misdeeds. In fact, David, the story we read today was the greatest fall and flaw in David's life. And David tried to cover it up. David tried to hide the things that he did. Now, this is David, the boy who would be king, we talked about two weeks ago. The one who slew the giant last week. After he slew the giant, David became Saul's servant. He would play to call Saul, play music to call Saul, calm Saul down. He fought in battle for Saul. 
This is the one who has now inherited Saul's throne. Everything that could be going right for Saul is going right for David. But David makes a misstep. In fact, this is a pretty big misstep in two chapters. He breaks six of the Ten Commandments. There might be a seventh one in there, but there's a guarantee he breaks more than half of the commandments in just two chapters we read about. And it all starts with temptation. Israel has gone out to war. In the early spring, this was the time for war campaigns. And after they had peace talks, if they couldn't settle on an agreed course of action, armies would go to war with one another. In particular, David sends his army out to meet the Ammonites. But we read in the second verse that David stays behind. And in the midst of this, David meets his biggest temptation. He's out on the roof one day and he looks out over his kingdom and he sees a woman bathing. And from there, sin progresses. If you read verses 2, 3, and 4, we read, David saw, David inquired, and David sent. So it wasn't just enough that David saw this woman bathing. The object of his lust became an object of inquiry. So he asks one of his servants, who is this person? And if the inquiry weren't enough, he says, now that I know, send her to me. And with that, David steps farther and farther away and into this tremendous sin. As he finds and is tempted by Bathsheba. Now, I should say, as he's tempted by, this is not anything of Bathsheba's doing. She just happened to be taking a bath. She was not trying to tempt David. It was David's temptation that he fell to. Well, the sin committed, David tries, hopes probably that he's gotten away with it. Until we learn at the end of the first couple of verses, Bathsheba sends a message. Just three simple words, I am pregnant. And lets David handle the fallout. So David tries to concoct and come up with a plan that will cover up his misdeeds. So his fir- the first action in his clever strategy is to call Bathsheba's husband home from war. So he sends a letter out and calls Uriah back. Uriah comes back from war. And David says, go, spend some time with your wife. Relax, I know you've been working hard. But Uriah, like all the other people in the Israelite army, has been consecrated for battle. And he's asked to refrain from going home and seeing his wife. So Uriah, the ethical one, stays in the king's courtyard, doesn't go home. David hears about it the next day. He's distraught. He's wondering, how in the world am I going to cover this up if Uriah won't go home? I know. I'll get him drunk. So he invites Uriah back over. Let's have dinner together. And he feeds Uriah a glass of wine after glass of wine after glass of wine until Uriah is pretty tipsy and tries to send Uriah home again. But Uriah still refuses. Left at his wit's end, David signs Uriah's death warrant, writes a letter to Joab, seals it, and gives it to Uriah himself. Take this and deliver it to Joab. Uriah, none the wiser, goes back to war. 
and at David's hand is struck down. By David's order, he is killed by the Ammonites. To cover things up, David marries Bathsheba. Takes her as his wife. David's covered it up. He thinks he's gotten away with it. He's done everything he could to hide his actions. Nobody would be the wiser. No one would know any better. So he thought. Everything is made right in this situation, according to David, except David's relationship with God. And in fact, at the end of verse 27, the end of the 11th chapter of 2 Samuel, one phrase stands out. After he has sinned, after he has fallen, and after he has tried to cover his sin up, all of this is wrapped together in one phrase. Under the heading, this was displeasing to God. And immediately we read that God sends Nathan to speak with David. Now there's a movie that came out a little while ago. It's called The Ghost in the Darkness. If you haven't seen it, it's about two man-eating lions in Savo, South Africa. It's based on a true story, and in the movie... A bridge builder is played by Val Kilmer, who comes to Savo and and learns that there are man-eating lions running rampant in this town. When he can't catch and kill these man-eating lions, a hunter comes in. The hunter is played by Michael Douglas, and his name in the story and in real life was Charles Remington. This famous hunter comes in, sees that Kilmer is having trouble. His latest attempt has failed, and he gives this quote. Remington says, we have an expression in prize fighting. Everyone has a plan until you've been hit. Well, my friend, you've just been hit. The getting up is up to you. Nathan comes to David to deliver a hit. To deliver the truth and to offer David the, the option of to get up or not. So Nathan comes in to David and asks him, poses him this question, tells a story. Now to give a little bit of background on this, Nathan would often sit in, uh, in court and judge over disputes. And every now and then, as with other judges, Nathan might come across a particular situation that he wasn't quite sure how to take forward. And so at that point, Nathan could come before the king, before David, and say, David, here's this problem. I'm not sure how to handle it. What do you want me to do? And so Nathan may have come under this guise. Nathan may have come to say, David, here's this dilemma that I have. And he tells this parable that ranks among the parables of Jesus in its effectiveness at disturbing the conscience. And its effectiveness as producing repentance. He tells the story of a rich man and a poor man and the rich man stealing from the poor. David's anger is kindled and said, this man deserves to die for what he has done. He needs to repay fourfold the loss that was suffered. Nathan reveals that this was not a judgment but a parable. And he says, you, David, are the man. You are the rich man who has stolen, even as much as you have. 
is that hit to gain? Now, there's something sensational about celebrity falls from grace. They surround the news and the tabloids. If you go on to, to BuzzFeed, you'll see 29 ways that this was the greatest fall from grace ever. 19 ways that this individual or that celebrity could have covered it up. Or 12 things they could have done that would have kept them out of trouble. We hold these celebrities up on this pedestal and then get angry when they fall. But the word today as we read the story of David and Bathsheba and Nathan is that we are like David. We are like these celebrities who get furious and self-righteous when we hear stories of Tiger Woods and Brett Favre and Richard Nixon, Oscar Pistorius, and on and on. But we overlook the things that we are trying to hide in our own lives. Now, we might not have committed adultery as David did, but each of us has a sin that we try to hide, that we don't want to see the light of day. Perhaps it's gossip, pornography, theft, lies, deceit. Each of us have something that we are trying to hide, that we are planning on, that we have this perfect plan so that nobody will find out about it. But we forget that we serve a God that sees us as we are, flawed and imperfect, that saw David as he was, flawed and imperfect. And at some point, at some time, each of us will face a point when we will be hit by the truth, when our plans will fall apart. Now, I mentioned that I drew on the wall and I signed my brother's name to it. I thought I had the perfect plan. I thought I'd get away with it. I forgot that my brother hadn't learned to spell his name yet. My plan was foiled. David's plan was foiled. God wants to bring out the hidden parts of our lives that we might experience forgiveness in a new way. We might try, not try and plan and hide and tuck those things away. See, the good news about this is David's reaction. David's character was broken as he interacted with Bathsheba. But he showed his true character when Nathan came to him and provided him with this insightful parable. That said, you are the man, you are the flawed and imperfect one that has stolen from the poor one, from the poor one. David's character welled up. He repented. He begs and asks for forgiveness. David's basic spiritual greatness stands most clearly revealed. As he repents, he laments over the actions that he has taken, the fall that he has made. And in the end, the wonderful thing that can be said about David is that even in his imperfection, even in his flawed character at times, in the end, David is one that is called a man after God's own heart. As broken as David was, I mean, six out of ten commandments at once, that's pretty good. 
we are still called one after God's own heart. The hope for us is that each and every one of us might be called the same. Might be, it might be said of us that we are one after God's own heart. The first step that we need to take is to realize that our plans amount to nothing. We can hide nothing from God. Even in our misdeeds. Sometimes it takes a Nathan to call us out on it. Sometimes we hear God, feel God tugging on our heart. And we know you aren't supposed to do that. In those times we have a choice. Continue to try and hide it. Or live into the character of David and repent. That we might experience grace, mercy, and forgiveness. That we might begin to change the pattern of our life. And that it might be said of each and every one of us. That we are people after God's own heart. This is my prayer for you and for me this day. Let us pray. Merciful God, we come to you this morning humbly acknowledging that in places we fall short. At times we are imperfect as we know that we try and hide these imperfections In our plans, we try and cover up our sins and our misdeeds, but try as we might. We know that you see us through and through. God, call us to repentance. Call us to a new way of life that we might live in your mercy, your love, and your forgiveness. That it might be said of us that indeed we are people after your heart. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.